Welcome to Curriculum Coup d'Etat. In episode two, we discuss children's rights, the role of play in the classroom, and emerging contextual curriculum. Today, we will have a special guest with us, Jen Shilbitska, who is here to expand on some of the things that we talked about last episode. Thank you for joining us. Today, your hosts will be Emily, Dawn, and me, Michelle. Hello, Jen. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you all doing? Great. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your past roles in education, your current roles? Sure. Yeah. Um, so as Michelle said, my name is Jen. Uh, I am currently the teacher education program director at Boulder Journey School. I've actually been at Boulder Journey School since 1999. It's been my only real job out of college, and it was not something that I um, ever really envisioned myself walking into and staying in uh, when I started at that time. So to think back on where I've been over the last 24 years is truly extraordinary to me that early childhood has so much to offer to early childhood professionals. Because uh, like I said, I, I the first day I started, I did not see myself here 24 years later. Um, so I started as a working with toddlers. So I worked with toddlers for about six years. And then I um, was fortunate enough for the school to take a risk um, with me, or at least I saw it as a risk, maybe they didn't. Uh, and and I, I put myself out there to be the studio teacher, which they kindly accepted and invited me into that role uh, where I stayed for about 13 years. And that was incredible because I got to work with all the teachers and all the children, all the families in the school. And when I worked as a toddler teacher, I was really um, focused on sort of what a studio looks like with toddlers and what does it mean for children to express themselves through media, Um, you know, especially because the children I was working with at the beginning, I was with them for two years. So I would start with them when they were pretty young and then be with them until about four. But in the beginning, there wasn't a lot of verbal, you know, communication. So learning how Toddlers are communicating through different languages was a huge focus. So the the studio position was something I really wanted to sort of grow into professionally and learn more and and sort of offer that back to the school. And then at that time when I transitioned into that role, about 2005, I also um, started working with Ellen Hall, um, who is our late founder and and executive director of Boulder Journey School. And, And we partnered together Uh, with the teacher education program that started in actually 1999. And so I'd been, um, while I was working as studio teacher, was also a part of our teacher education program team. And that was amazing because I was, you know, not only talking to adults about, or talking with adults about how to be and live with children, um, but then I was doing that as well. So it, it made me sort of be really authentic because I couldn't just go and tell adults one thing and then behind closed doors <laughs> go do something else with children. Um, so those two roles really worked beautifully, um, harmoniously together because I was, you know, learning from the students I was working with and then taking that into my practice as a studio teacher and then taking my practice as a studio teacher and offering that back to the students. Um, so again, just a lot of synergy there. And then in 2018, um, when Ellen passed away. She had a a long, hard battle with cancer and just was not going to let it bring her down. And and unfortunately, it 
sadly did in the final weeks of her life, um, but she fought hard. And um, <clears throat> to, uh, in uh, 2018, because of that, we had to sort of shift around some roles and responsibilities. And that's when I came into this position as the director of the teacher education program. So um, that's been new. And I've been trying to find ways to still work with children. I'm actually subbing in a classroom right now, two days a week, which is amazing. Um, I think the the teachers in there want to kill me because I'm constantly emailing them ideas and, <laughs> okay, here are my plans for tomorrow when I'm going to be in there. <laughs> These were things I noticed. What are your thoughts? So yeah, <laughs> but I love it. Um, so yeah, I hope, I hope that covers it. I'm sure there's a lot more I can say, but I know you have questions, so I don't want to keep chatting. <laughs> I love your stories. It's great. Um, so what does emerging contextual curriculum look like to you and what role does play have within the classroom that focuses on contextual curriculum? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And it was actually interesting thinking about your questions when you sent them to me over the weekend, um, having worked in a classroom these last couple of weeks and, and, I, and I will be through May because I feel like I've, I've had an opportunity to, um, you know, I, I, like I said, at, when I was a studio teacher, I was also working with students in the teacher education program. And then for the last almost five years, I've been out of the classroom and, you know, leading courses around curriculum, observation, documentation, assessment, and have just been learning so much from my students about the experience of contextual curriculum, making sense of contextual curriculum, the obstacles, the challenges, the barriers that come up, same with observation, documentation, assessment. And it's been really exciting to um, just take note of ways that my own sort of practice about those things are shifting, even though I'm not actually practicing them. So it's it's been really fun to actually now, or more than fun, just uh, sort of transformational in my own thinking, having the opportunity to take what the students have taught me about these very things and now actually like implement them in the classroom. So I just wanted to, to point that out that I think had you asked me this question a couple weeks ago before I was working in the classroom, I could have answered it maybe a little bit differently. Um, but but anyhow, so I, I've always found that when I talk about curriculum being contextual, um, it, to me, that means that it's coming from the context uh, wherein everyone is situated. So that would be the teachers, the children, the families. So so really looking at the context where where everybody, um, wherein everyone is situated, <clears throat> and sort of what is emerging from that context. So that's where emergent curriculum comes, or the emergent piece comes into play. So. That's sort of in a nutshell, how I see those two words working with curriculum. So you're taking what's being offered from the context. And when we're talking about context, we're not just talking about the people either. We're also talking about the environment, the resources and, and you know everything you can sort of tap into. Um, I would imagine that when you took the STEM course, uh, Alex talked about eolithism. That's a term from David Hawkins. and. Um, essentially, that term means really resourcing from your context, you know, what are the authentic, what are the abundance of resources already offered within your context, and not just thinking about those resources in regards to what you're taking, but also in, in what you're giving back to. So there's a reciprocity involved in there. 
Um, so, so yeah, so I, I think, and we don't think about that enough when we think about the context, we often just think about the people involved, but, but the environment is a protagonist, the materials are also a protagonist. So really thinking about that and each context is also going to offer, um, different types of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for affordances, you know, based on what that context is. Um, I'm just thinking about the difference between, you know, our school that's situated in you know um, mountains well i guess we're not situated in mountains but they're close by um versus a school like we we partner uh with a woman in north carolina south buford is that south carolina or north carolina i can never remember um <laughs> my geography is really bad that's not what my knowledge is in um but i probably should know that and we've been partnering with her for years she's amazing um but they they're like right on the coast there. And so that's a totally different context that they resource from um, and or resource with. And so the work that you see from her and their students looks very different from what you would see from our students in, in Boulder Journey School. Um, so you're really tapping into that as a resource and, and using that. And that doesn't mean that you just sort of are always working from a blank slate and you're just diving in, you know, not accessing anything from past experiences, um, you're also bringing those in as well. So you're, you're using past experiences, past knowledge that you've developed, past understandings to sort of um, maybe ignite fires in, in different ways to propel the curriculum forward. Um, so you, it's not that you're always starting from a blank slate. I think sometimes it can be interpreted in that way. Um, when we're thinking about contextual curriculum is that it always has to be something totally new and totally different. Um, but you're not like you're, you're a human being bringing in your past experiences and understandings because that's going to shape how you're interpreting the current work that you're developing with the children. Um, so yeah, I think as far as like defining what that is, that's, that's sort of what comes to mind. And and it's something that going back to that word emergent, uh, I think of that as, as something that implies movement and motion. And so as you're identifying rich opportunities that have potential for further study and investigation with children, it's, it's not so much about like your starting point, but it's about where you go. And, and so how you sort of progress forward with the children and the families is also a part of that emergent piece. So emergent is continuous. So each day, uh, each opportunity you're having with, with the children, you're taking note of, okay, what, what is emerging now? And how is that connecting to what we've observed um, in, in the past experiences? Um, how is that giving us information and ideas about, you know, how we, what we want to spend more time with together, where we wanna dive um, more deeply into? Um, so, and, and also going back to that piece of, you know, not starting as like a blank slate as a teacher, obviously you're, you're bringing in all these past experiences you have with children. Um, I also have found that emergent contextual curriculum can be misunderstood to be child led and child centered and child directed. And while yes, I, I think it can be. I think there's an incredible opportunity loss when we're not recognizing um, the, the role of the teacher and, and the role of the teacher as partner in the research. And 
I, I feel like that's something that I've really taken away from the work in the schools in Reggio Emilia is how they really work together as a partnership and, and less is like, okay, this is all about the children. So we're just looking at what are the children interested in and what do we want to do with the children based on their interests? And it's not okay for the teacher to have an interest. And, and that's sort of where I think it gets complicated because then teachers feel like they don't have a role in sort of, um, you know, putting ideas out there or making, even just making a decision. Sometimes I watch teachers struggle over making a decision because they're like, well, what if this isn't what the children want to do? What if this isn't what they're interested in? Um, well, when I offer that, the, the, the children were trying to do this other thing. And I feel like I should have just let it go instead of pushing my idea. And well, yes, we want to be conscious of not like pushing our agenda, it's okay for us to lend ideas and, and try new things and invite the children into that as well. Like, hey, I know we typically sort of approach, you know, this work in this way. And I'm wondering what, what happens if we try it differently today? Um, so I think that's the other piece that I would add to that it's not like just about the children, um, but that there's a, that partnership is key. I feel really seen from from hearing you say that oh good absolutely well it's like I well even when <clears throat> we sort of redesigned the studio um at the school to contain more like digital uh tools so video projectors um or not video projectors but like projectors that you could hook up to your computer uh let's see overhead projectors i'm like what's that word <laughs> um and and stuff like that and uh we would i would work with teachers and, and we would sort of spend some time designing the space based on experiences children were having obviously outside of the studio um but to be sort of expressed through these you know digital devices so you're sort of entering into the experience through the digital space um and then we would get in there and the teachers were like quiet and i'm like it's okay for you to like invite them in and say hey remember when we were walking in the fields the other day those beautiful flowers you all pointed out and we came back and we drew and that's what's projected in here now we thought maybe we could enter into the field through here um like it's okay for you to share the way that you're making those connections between these experiences um and instead of just like okay we set this up now i'm going to be silent because i don't want to interrupt the children's creativity i don't want to put forth any ideas that they're not already thinking um which to me indicates you know going back to a strong image of the child like if the child doesn't like your idea well hopefully they haven't gotten into that space that sadly I think they get into pretty young where they're like, oh, the adult, I want to please the adult, but hopefully they're not there yet. Um, but having a strong image of children implies that if, if they don't like your idea, then they're not going to go for your idea. And if they like your idea, then what's wrong with them going for that? That's okay. <laughs> you're not taking away their creativity. You're, you're giving them sort of a a jumping off point like oh i like that and you know that's what social constructivism is it's not like okay we all gotta have our ideas have to come from ourselves like no like it's about sharing and building off of what each other is putting out there um so yeah absolutely with that being said you're talking about the teachers 
Many teachers run into problems with implementation of contextual curriculum due to the lack of knowledge of parents, admin, and even policy makers. What challenges have you faced over the years and do you have any suggestions for those facing these challenges? So that was such an interesting question to read um, because I might answer this in a way that you don't want. So let me know. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond and then be like, well, <laughs> can you talk about this a little bit more? Um, but I want to share with you sort of like what naturally came up for me um, when I saw that question. Um, so, so two things came up. So one is, yes, absolutely. I think, you know, admin, um, families and, you know, outside, like, you know, support coming from legislation absolutely can become a challenge. And when we're in the classroom, when we're right there with the children, what I have found in my own experience, what I have found with teachers who face these challenges is it really is up to, well, what do you do? When you're in that room with the children, what do you end up doing? And um, I'm thinking about so many teachers that I have been so impressed with, like how they sort of find, I don't, know if this is the right term but like the loopholes so okay this is you know this is sort of what i'm being told that i need to do um and this is how i'm going to sort of take that and then add in and, and approach it from a direction that represents where my core beliefs are coming from. So they they kind of get creative with taking what is being given to them and then bringing in like what they they think is best for children. Um, and I've seen so many teachers do that. Um, the other piece that that I want to add into that as well is and, and this has come up in a couple different conversations that I've had with leaders in various capacities, whether it's like superintendents, principals, um, other like, uh, well, not policymakers necessarily, but like, um, but just other people who are impacting sort of the daily life in the school that are within the realm of education, um, those kinds of leaders. And, and we actually just had this incredible meeting with some leaders in, in DPS uh, recently and they and I and I know this isn't the case across the board, um, but I do know that it does exist more often than we realize. They're wanting teachers to be creative with what is given to them. They're wanting teachers to think outside the box and and sort of not approach um, the teaching learning experience from this very archaic, outdated. Um, place that a lot of the, the curriculums that were given. So our, our state is, you know, given, I don't understand how this all totally works, but I know that we're given federal funding for schools um, in Colorado. And, and because of that, because we're tied to those federal dollars, I think we are still, I, we might've broken away from that consortium, but I, I think we're still part of that. Um, and because of that, we're expected to be doing these things. So what the what the leadership is hoping is that the teachers will sort of take that 
um, because again, money is tied to it and, and be approaching it from a different place. So it's sort of like when you look at like standards, right? So like the standards, in my opinion, aren't the bad thing. Like people place so much emphasis on like, why do we have these standards? Well, the standards are just standards. It's when we use them to direct our teaching learning experience with the children. That's what becomes problematic. Like how, how that drives the teaching experience. So, but we don't have to do that. That's just sort of how we approach this process of implementing, you know, the sort of quote unquote teaching of standards in education. And now we're sort of stuck here, right? And and we're confusing this one approach with it being the way to approach it. And so that's where that creativity comes in. And um, the, the team that we met with, this leadership team from DPS brought up this really, really interesting point, which was so often with these kinds of curriculums, um, teachers are given, they're, they're, they're pretty straightforward in regards to like what you need to do and some even like the time of day that you need to be doing it. And so it's what they've noticed is that they've encouraged teachers to kind of move away from that. And what they've noticed is that teachers are um, in, in some situations, in many situations, in this case, actually, um, there's almost like a fear. There's like a safety around um, this very, you know, articulated curriculum, this very articulated way of moving forward with the learning um, experience with the students. And by moving away from that, there's there's some fear in there of, well, what if I don't do this right? And, you know, what if it doesn't go well? And what if the students don't learn this? Um, and so that's the piece then that I wanna go back to um, for my second thing that came up when I read that question is I, I really honestly think fear is a huge driver of why more teachers aren't embracing this way of approaching the teaching learning experience with children, because there is a lot more freedom. There is a lot more unknown. Um, there's a lot more, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say planning necessarily, because you're also planning with the other ones, but I would say the unknown is probably the biggest part. Um, you're you're sort of diving into this way of working where you have some learning objectives or learning intentions, and you sort of have some ideas that hopefully you've generated with the children about where you know you'll go and and sort of where you're moving towards. Um, and at the same time, being open to, well, we might not get there though. We might end up over here. And, and that I think can create a lot of anxiety for teachers, especially teachers who are in those situations that are, are much more mandated, um, you know, than somebody like us at Boulder Journey School where we have a lot more, you know, freedom and, and support around that. Um, so I, I do think that when it comes down to it, I think fear, is probably one of the biggest drivers. And I think that's like something that's lacking so much from teacher education programs is supporting teachers and building a strong image of themselves as a teacher. 
supporting teachers and, you know, feeling creative. And, and I can't tell you how often I hear adults say, I'm not creative. I'm so not, oh, creativity is so not my thing. We are, we are so creative. Our, you know, archaic way of being in school for so long, especially those of us in grad school, we've been in school for what, like, I don't know, it was like almost 15, 20, 19, I can't do the math. It's too early for math, but a long time. And we're pretty much told like all along the way that we're not creative, you know? And so we are creative. And so that's another piece. Um, and, and the last one is vulnerability. Like, oh my gosh, it is so hard for us to be vulnerable, especially when there's so much at stake. And I think there is, you know, there's, there's privilege that comes along with that too in, in this country, which is, is a sad thing. Um, I think privilege definitely, um, you know, plays a part with, um, with, with people giving themselves permission to feel vulnerable. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I think when it comes down to it, though, you know, those, those barriers are, are always going to exist in, in some way, shape, or form. And when it comes down to it, it's all about what you do when you're in that space with children every day. You get to make choices. You get to make decisions. And one thing that Carlina Rinaldi has taught me and has said is education is not neutral. Education is political. And so every decision we make as a teacher is a political decision, in my opinion, because every decision we make once we are behind that door with the children is either going to support the status quo or it's going to push back against it. I, I truly believe that. Um, so like I said, I don't know if that's what you're expecting from that question, but those were like the two things that sort of came up for me. So building off of that, if you envision your perfect world, what does education look like in your perfect world and how do we get there? You know, easy, easy question. Okay. So again, I don't know if you're going to like my response. There are no right or wrong answers here. I love you all. Okay. So there's, it's not this, it's not your question, but there's like another question that is asked so commonly about like waving a magic wand. And I don't know if you're, if you've ever heard people ask this question. And I, I, there's something about those questions that I don't, I don't know how to say it. Not, not that I don't like them. Um, I, I think my, my perspective is that there is no perfect, um, you know, and there's no magic wand <laughs> either. Um, and honestly, I, I don't, I don't want a perfect, um, I, I say that realizing so many challenges and issues within our system that are heavy on the adults that are holding the system together. And so absolutely, like I, I want nothing more than for that weight to be lifted from these adults so we can breathe, we can focus on the joy with children um, that comes from being with children every day in the classroom and that we get compensated fairly. I want all of those things, absolutely. And 
I think that there's so much benefit because there's no perfect in our system. It pushes us to be more aware, um, to be better advocates. Um, I think if we just had these things, I think it would impact our, our motivation and our drive to really help people see the value in this time in childhood. I think because we have to be such strong advocates for the field, we're advocating for more than, than that work. We're advocating for childhood. And that's something that's just the value of childhood and just childhood is missing so much in our society now. Um, and so I, I think with our, our struggles and our, and our challenges, so many beautiful things come out of that that I think would be gone if we just had everything we needed. Um, you sort of get to that place of stasis, is that the right word? <laughs> plateau, you know, where you're like, okay, homeostasis. <laughs> if you all remember me well, you remember that I don't know some words sometimes, just like geography is not my thing. Um, but yeah, and then it's like, what, I don't know if you remember Lisa Dion, and she talked about this, and I freaking love this. Um, so she talked about the goal with regulation, because she, she talked about the nervous system. I don't know if y'all remember her for SSL. Um, the goal with regulation is not to be regulated all the time. The goal is to learn how to move back and forth between being dysregulated and being regulated. And she called it a pulse, this pulse, you know, and it's this pulse of life. And if you think about it, and this is something I'm trying to help my kid understand, life is a pulse. So we have these moments that are, they just seem so wonderful and beautiful and you seem content and everything is, you're at peace, you know, but then that gets shaken up and something happens and, and you come out of that space and, and, and coming out of that space pushes you to use different parts of your brain and, and think in different ways and take note of different points of view and perspectives and um, experience different emotions that you have to be in relationship with. And there's all these, well, it's so hard and you can't wait to get out of that and get back to that peaceful place. There's so many beautiful things that come out of that, that struggle and that challenge, um, especially when you're, you're there with others and that struggle and that challenge is collective. Um, I think it can be really powerful. Um, so, so yes, while I definitely want all those amazing things for us as early childhood professionals, so we're not just trying to survive every day at the same time, I don't want all of our challenges to go away because I, I think that that's what makes us the most exciting group of people. I mean, we really are like, it, it's an incredible group of people who drive this field, right? Um, like you don't need an early childhood educator and you're like, okay, they're not very interesting. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't know. That's, I just, I, I, I want things to obviously be better and I don't want us to lose the challenges. I don't, I don't want perfect. I hope that's okay. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much, Jen, for being with us today. You were an amazing teacher for us in our program and an inspiration for our entire cohort. You always either begin or end a class with some message or quote of motivation. Is there a final message you would like to share with us today? Oh, well, you're so sweet. Well, I want to say that you all have a very special place in my heart, and I, I really mean that. It's, it's not just like you're not just these three blank faces of students and cohort three, section two. Oh, cohort two? No. Wait, you're really cohort two? I don't know. See? <laughs> that, why did I even go there? <laughs> but I remember your group strongly and all the things that I learned from you. And I'm serious when I am saying like being an instructor and getting to learn from all of you is, is just so incredible. Like it's amazing to me how long I haven't been in the classroom and how much I am still learning about the, the content of the courses that I, that I teach, like just from your experiences and how you're interpreting everything. And, and so know that I'm bringing that it's a part of me and I'm bringing that to all of my students. Um, okay, so <laughs> the first thing that came up when I read that question, my quote is keep on keeping on. <laughs> I'm serious, we can't stop this work. We gotta keep on keeping on. It's so important. Um, we can't let barriers stop us. We can't let COVID stop us. The children deserve so much amazement that we can offer them and it comes from our capacity to just keep rising above what keeps coming to us <laughs> so that that's my that's my quote <laughs> it's okay oh thank you jen and thank you to you our listeners for joining us on our curriculum revolution this concludes our three-part mini series if you found this podcast insightful and would like to hear more, please let us know. As always, we welcome your feedback at curriculumcoudetat at gmail.com.